0: Hey everyone, my name is Marina Mattson, and I am the host of the Become STEM podcast. Today, we are joined by someone whose fervent excitement and passion for math, and some might even argue drawing, has spread the love for math beyond its borders of old. A Minnesota native and author of two books, Math with Bad Drawings and Change is the Only Constant, we are joined by Mr. Ben Orlin. Mr. Orland, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat.
0: First off, how did you find out that math was your passion and path of life?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was like to be in high school and be thinking about all the options. I think I at, at that age, I was just overwhelmed, I think, by how many cool things there are to do in the world and how little it felt like I knew about all of them. Uh, I think, honestly, my passion from when I was younger was always writing. I always really cared about writing. Um, And also I had a feeling, though, that writing is a means. You can't you can't just um, I don't know. So people write beautiful things. And then but you also uh, you need to be writing about something. And I wasn't sure I knew what to write about or that I had interesting messages to convey. Um, and math almost snuck up on me. I, I always enjoyed math as a kid. I always enjoyed puzzles. I loved logic and logical arguments. That was maybe my my way in, um, and then as I got into college, I enjoyed the math classes and sort of came sideways into a math major. I was really focused on psychology more, and then, and then yeah, math, math just kind of snuck up on me, this kind of slowly rising water level, um, and then suddenly I was up to my neck in math and, and realized that it was something that I really enjoyed and was also a way to I could connect math with other things in my life. I could I could go teach math and that would let me be interacting with people and thinking about how people think, which I was really passionate about. Um, and math was a window into that. And then similarly, I could write about math and then and then uh, you know that got me into writing tasks that I enjoyed where I was trying to express subtle, tricky ideas. Um, so I guess and maybe this is just how math always is. Math always connects to everything in life and, and kind of has its tentacles everywhere. Um, so that was, I guess, what happened to me is I didn't—I wasn't looking for math, and it just sort of wrapped its tentacles around me uh, and and showed me that it could it could lead me to other places I wanted to go.
0: That's so awesome.
1: Yeah. What What What, what about all of you? What 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 excites you guys about math?
0: I like the fact that there's an answer. Um, usually. You can connect numbers together. And after lots of thinking, you arrive at an answer. And sometimes it's beautiful, like an integer or an expression of pi or i. Um, sometimes it's not very beautiful. Sometimes there are lots of square roots and decimals. You can't really control it, but there's always an answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that certainty is something that's always drawn people to mathematics. The fact that when you've when you've done it out properly and when you've got your proof, you know, you know that. The final thing follows from the first thing
2: yeah for me it's more like a game of logic i i I like the logical part as well and i yeah i it's more of a game and just to um you know just to forget all the problems and do some math (laughs)
1: yeah yeah those are it's funny i like i like that math has kind of these two sides one is like you're really thinking very hard about real world problems and how do i apply these ideas to reality but then there's the other side that a lot of people never see which is that it really is kind of a game it's like okay well what if i what if i draw a triangle like this what what can i do with that? for me
3: basically it's the fact that my philosophy teacher explained us like galileo and he said that the universe is written in mathematics and it's just something that's really beautiful to think about that everything in nature is written with these kind of numbers that everybody of us can understand and needs to understand in order to uh, if we can uh, really have a grasp of what existence is and it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The connections between mathematics and physics are lovely. And I I love that quote. There's a beautiful paragraph from Galileo where he's laying out that metaphor of the book of reality is written in mathematics. And that's the language in which the universe is written. Um, Yeah. That's a beautiful piece of writing. I love that.
2: Cool. What particular field of math do you find most interesting?
1: So, yeah, that's a really good question. I think if, depending on the day I can get excited about different things. Uh, one of the most fun classes I took in college was about fractal geometry. Um, and so that's you know the these these crazy shapes that you you know you can think of it like one of those gifs or gifs you see online where like you zoom in and you don't even realize when it's looping because as you zoom in it just looks like more of the same. Um, so, you know, it's sort of these shapes of triangles within, triangles within triangles within triangles or squares within squares within squares and or or these kind of jagged shapes um, where the more you zoom in, the more jagged it is and you think you're gonna hit the bottom and you just keep zooming and it gets more and more complex. Uh, so visually, those are some of the most fun. Uh, but, I, but actually, as I really think about it, probably my favorite is probability. I love thinking about how we're just, we're uncertain about everything in the world. There's nothing we know for certain. And probability is this brilliant system we have for figuring out what to do and how to reason when we don't really know anything for sure, right? Nothing is probability one. Nothing is probability zero. Everything is kind of somewhere in between. Um, and so, and, and probability, yeah, it's full of it's full of interesting puzzles and surprises. So probably if I had to pick one, I'd say probability.
0: Yeah, I definitely can connect with that. At first, geometry was nearly impossible to me. I'm really bad at visualizing things. I always had to have um, cubes near me so I could build what I'm thinking about and look at it and manipulate it physically. Um, But I think after practicing, it's a little bit more comfortable. I don't run away from a problem with a triangle drawn on it. But still, if there are numbers, I'll be a lot more happy.
1: Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. I think those those are very systematic uh, branches of mathematics where you can really build up yeah uh, an approach that is very reliable. And part of what's fun about probability is even a very simple problem, it might not be clear what to do with it. <laughs> you know it might it might be um, yeah a, a tricky puzzle to solve. Yeah. What, Flavia and Adelphi, what about you what what branch of math would you say is your favorite?
2: Um, probably. Oh i like calculus <laughs> and yeah probably that and before i used to like geometry when it was in middle school but now i i'm not really into geometry anymore <laughs> and yeah just because i i really like abstract things and like abstract ideas and yeah that's that's probably the reason
3: why <laughs> Yeah, for, me, for me it's the same. I really love calculus but like I have a hard time on geometry for example. I don't know why I maybe I'm just more uh, you know more able to like uh, understand ab- ab- abstract things more than practical ones. I, I don't know. Yeah no, that's, I, I identify with both of those. I think sometimes just
1: like the most recent math you've learned is sometimes what you're most excited about. So you know if the geometry is a few years back and calculus is the new thing, then it makes sense to be very excited about the new thing. Um, And also, I don't know, different people have different strengths when it comes to mathematical thinking. Visualization and visual thinking was never really my strength. When I think about things like knot theory, which is this beautiful mathematics about, you know, different ways you can tangle up a string and different knots you can tie. I find it so hard to visualize those things. Um, But the sort of more, the things that are a little more algebraic, a little more symbolic come more easily to me. Um, and so sometimes I'm drawn towards, you know, what, what comes easily. Uh, but, but then again, that I also love the visual side and that's something actually after school, I feel like I've spent a lot of time learning more about the visual side of mathematics and trying to get better at the thing that was not my strength. <laughs> question it depends a little bit on what i'm writing i do a fair number of cartoons on facebook and things yeah i don't know if folks in your generation call them memes because i guess cartoons is, is um, talking time. about your writing uh, but so it, it it's, things it's like really that and those, process, i don't know those, you those are you know i sort of just sit down and brainstorm a bunch of ideas and some of them will be no good and then a couple of them are <laughs> good enough to be worth drawing at least uh and then with writing books, it's a much slower process, obviously. So I'll, but, but it has something in common where it's come up with a lot of ideas and then narrow it down. Uh, So for example, the book I just finished and will come out next year is a book about mathematical games, um, sort of pencil and paper games. And so for that, you know, I came up with maybe 15 or 20 different ideas for books. um, And that was the one my editor thought was most exciting. So we decided to focus on that one. And then when it came to picking the games, I you know I did as much research as I could and probably looked at I don't know maybe a few hundred or a thousand games um, to eventually find the seventy five or so that appear in the book. Uh, and so a lot of the creative process I think is creating way more than you need, and a lot of it isn't very good because that's just the nature of creating things. Uh, and then being able to take a step back and remember that it's okay to cut things. That was the whole you know the whole reason you wrote so much was so you could cut it down to the very best stuff.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a quote, um, have a lot of ideas and a few of them will be good enough.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, right? It would be amazing to have a lot of good ideas. That would be so magical. We all wish we could do that, but that's just hard to do. So yeah, I think that's right. Having a lot of ideas and then being willing to, to cut the ones that turn out to not be so good.
0: Definitely. And for everyone listening right now, it is May the 4th, Star Wars Day. And Mr. Orland, you did write a chapter in your book about Star Wars, the Death Star, and one of the subchapters is titled To Frame Thy Fearful Symmetry. Now, this brought me to William Blake's poem, Tiger, and I was wondering, is this a mere coincidence or are you in fact a secret lover of poetry?
1: And oh, no, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, I think a non-secret lover of poetry. Um, yeah, that, uh, right, I, right, that chapter about the Death Star, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, well, I wanted to talk about the geometric aspects of you know building a giant sphere in space. Um, and so, right, there's a little section there about the symmetries of a sphere. And the fact, the sphere has way more symmetry than any other shape you could, you could imagine. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely a deliberate uh, William Blake reference since the right, tiger, tiger burning bright in the forests of the night. Uh, and, and also I like the idea that, right, to frame that fearful symmetry uh, for Blake, there's something about the, the sheer symmetry of the tiger that makes it terrifying. Uh, and the same is kind of true of the Death Star. You know, you've got this big sphere floating around in space that can blow up planets. Um, so, you know, I, I, mean, I, I really enjoy poetry. I don't I don't think of myself as a particularly knowledgeable reader of poetry. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I worked in actually for a while, my second book, which was about calculus, uh, the working title was the poet's calculus. Um, so I was going to include lots of bits of poetry in there. Um, and you still see, if you look in that book, you'll see there are a few bits of poetry and random song lyrics and things like that, that get woven through. Um, yeah, I think, I think poetry and math are both just ways of thinking about the world and thinking about reality. Um, and often there's a nice, there are nice connections to be found between them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, love poetry specifically both tiger and little lamb the counter poem to that so i just got so excited when i saw that title um i had to ask yeah that's that's really glad there's
1: something very mathematical about that that blake wrote right songs of innocence and songs of experience and put them side by side with these parallels um yeah there's something very mathematically appealing about that
2: yeah i wanted to ask you a question what drove you to writing in general
1: It's a really good question. I don't know. Ever since I was a little, actually, always, the way the way a lot of pe- mathematicians are with math, I think, um, where it just it just captivates them from a young age. I think writing was that for me. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I like life is very abrupt and improvisational, and you never quite know what's going to happen, and you never get a chance to get anything perfect when you're out there in the world. Uh, and the nice thing about writing is you can edit and hone it and sculpt it. And you can kind of get it as close to perfect as you can get just about anything. Um, and also I find it may be similar to the way a lot of people think about math. I find writing a good way to figure out what I'm thinking. When you can sort of sit down alone with the keyboard and work your way through your thoughts. Um, it's maybe not so different from when you sit down and work your way through a math problem. And by the end of the process, you, you understand things you didn't understand at the beginning. <laughs>
2: in your book, Math with Bad Drawings, you originally set out with the goal of writing about every single aspect of math. At what point did it turn into a mathematical analysis of activities and occurrences in your lives, such as lottery tickets and insurance?
1: Yeah, I I give my editor a lot of credit for for the direction that took. I think... You know, my degree is in pure mathematics, and so when I sit down think, like we were talking about before, I tend to want to think about these very abstract puzzles, you know, and playing the game of mathematics for its own sake. That's just where my brain goes, um, which is why it's really helpful to have an editor to just say, "No, Ben, that's some people. <laughs> some people like those games, but a lot of people just want to know what does math do? Why? Why is it there? What? What can it tell us about the world?" Um, and so my editor steered me, you know, away from stuff like the structure of prime numbers, you know, which I think is fun, but also it's a little harder to hook in a casual reader with maybe. Um, and she steered me towards things like lottery tickets and, yeah, and insurance. And, uh, you know, the idea of when you double the size of something, it gets eight times heavier, but only twice as tall. And so you get some strange effects from that that you can sort of explain mathematically why giants can't exist, you know, or why we could never have 200 foot tall bugs because their exoskeletons just wouldn't be able to support it um, just based on kind of properties of scaling. So st- stuff like that wound up being really fun to write about. And wasn't the first thing I thought of to write about. The first thing I thought of was much more, let's talk about prime numbers and grams number. You know, it's, it's silly stuff that that I enjoy as a mathematician, but uh, but I think it wouldn't have been quite as, as fun and meaningful a book for a lot of people.
0: Have you ever bought a lottery ticket yourself? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but I thought, think. I think twice I've bought lottery tickets. Right when I turned 18, I got a couple lotteries because that's what you do. Um, and then there was one day where the jackpot was uh, it was a billion dollars or something like that. And my roommate convinced me to buy lottery tickets. I don't think either of us ever buys lottery tickets, but we went over and, and bought some lottery tickets. Um, yeah, it, 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 I think it's a fun thing to do now and again, you know, give, give you a chance to dream about what it would be like to win the prize. Um, I, would, I would advise, again, spending a lot of money on lottery tickets. I think that, that tends to be a losing proposition.
0: You'll pay a lot back in taxes, at least in the United States, regardless. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, the taxes on prize winnings are quite high. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That was another chapter in my in math of bad drawings is about uh, income taxes. But in theory, if you you put the lottery tickets and the tax chapters together, and it becomes clear that lottery tickets are not a very good uh, not a very good investment.
2: you're a teacher as well, right?
1: Yeah, I'm not teaching right now. I was just having a conversation earlier today um, with a local community college here about trying to to work out something where I might be able to teach there starting in a year or two. Um, but yeah, lately the writing has been taking up full time. Uh, so so I've, t- I've spent like seven or eight years in the classroom now, um, but the last year I've just been writing.
3: Well, uh, talking about symmetry, like about the tiger, um, yeah. symmetry can be defined as the essence of beauty. And why does the human eye is more projected to love this kind of symmetry that it is in our world?
1: <sighs> That's such a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's fascinating, right? That that part of what we find beautiful is is this abstract mathematical property that gets that we see in the world. Um, but it's definitely true, right? We, we appreciate, so so there there's some specific examples you can kind of explain. Um, so evolutionary psychologists like to point out that if you ask people to rate how attractive some different faces are, they tend to pick the faces that are very symmetric. Um, and that actually seems to be a decent indicator of health. So you can sort of, you can speculate, it's not, it's hard to prove, but you can speculate that maybe we evolved to be attracted to symmetric faces uh, because it was a good indicator of health and so people who are attracted to healthy people have healthier offspring and so there are more of them and so that's yeah that's how evolution works um but i don't know yeah like why are we why are we drawn to the symmetry of a flower or uh, yeah I, I don't know um there's uh, I, yeah i think there's there's very different theories out there do you do, do you have a theory for why uh why those kind of symmetries appeal to us oh,
3: it's a kind of <laughs> difficult question indeed but like i suppose maybe it's so the harmony that is it, that it is out of ourselves is also within ourselves i i don't know it's like a i think that like my philosophy teacher always says that like god created uh, the world uh symmetrically and as man we are the creation of god and therefore we are created to appreciate that kind of symmetry but maybe it's just you know i don't know <laughs> Well, it's very difficult to, to answer that question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I can't tell if, um, right, I can't tell which perspectives make the question easier or harder to, to think about. Because um, certainly, there, I don't know, beauty itself I think, tends to be a mystery. Why do we find anything beautiful um, is, is pretty hard. Um, this is something actually, it comes up with mathematics, where a lot of mathematicians will describe math as beautiful or mathematical objects as beautiful. And people who didn't enjoy their experience of mathematics in school they're often like, what, beautiful? Like the thing with the square roots and the decimals, that's beautiful. Uh, and it can be really hard uh, even to agree on what beautiful means and why we're using that word. Um, I tend to prefer the word interesting for mathematics because uh, I think people understand that interesting is subjective and, and but they're also open to the idea that maybe what I, what I currently don't find interesting, maybe I will become interested in it or maybe you can show me why it's interesting. Um, whereas beautiful, For some people, it excites them. Like, oh, I got to find out why that's beautiful. And for some people, it's just like, what are you talking about? How is that beautiful?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I often refer to math problems or answers as beautiful if there's a very, I guess, yeah, the only word to describe it to make sense is interesting solution where there are steps but you couldn't figure it out at first. And then after subconscious thinking, it was able to come out on your platter. Um, Some of it might also be related to the reason why we love learning. And we love seeing these mathematical patterns and it pleases our brain. And so seeing Fibonacci and flowers or seeing symmetry in faces and nature would make us really happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that sounds right to me that there are just some... um... Some kind of deep properties there that we recognize um like Adelphia was saying that we just there's there's something it's it's not that we're seeing something new necessarily it's something we're recognizing somehow um and that's that's powerful for us <laughs>
0: at the end of every single episode we do like to ask our guests what their favorite riddle puzzle or central academic question to their respective stem field so would you like to share with us and the audience what yours is
1: yeah sure so this is a, a bit of a i can't tell if it's a silly one or, or a too serious one um but right you, we talked about calculus a little bit earlier and a lot of what animates calculus what makes it sort of magical is the idea of adding up little bits and little bits and other little, little bits, and eventually one little bit at a time, you can get a whole meaningful change. Um, And so this is one I sort of stumbled across at one point. um, This was almost 10 years ago now. Um, I I was not yet a coffee drinker, but my wife was a very, you know, my girlfriend at the time was a very avid coffee drinker. Um, And so we were just sort of speculating about what if you took a cup of coffee and you keep taking sips and say the first sip is really big and you drink half of what's in the cup. So now only half is left. And then the next sip, it's a little smaller. And you can say you only drink a third of what is left. And so now there's an even smaller amount left. And then maybe the next sip, you're getting full at this point. So you only drink a quarter of what is left. Um, and then a sip after that, you drink a fifth of what is left, and then a sixth, and then a seventh. So you're taking each time a smaller and smaller fraction of what's remaining. Um, and the question is sort of what, what happens as you keep sipping? What happens to the coffee in the cup? Uh, Anyway, so, so that, that's sort of a fun one to think about. I can leave that for you guys. And then once you've sort of thought about that one, you can kind of change the size of the sips. You can say, well, what if what if the first sip was only a quarter, and then the next sip was only a ninth, and then the sip after that was a sixteenth, and so the the sort of sips are shrinking more quickly. Um, anyway, it was I, I enjoyed thinking about that one when I first came across it because it was like suddenly I discovered a whole. I mean, the questions other people had thought about before too, obviously, but, but I discovered this whole side version of calculus that, that, um, I don't know, it felt very fresh to me. <laughs>
0: Mr. Orland, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of the Become STEM podcast. And thank you, everyone, listening into this conversation. If you want to read Mr. Orland's puzzle and contemplate a little bit more on it, it will be on the Become STEM website when this episode is published. Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure to come back next week. It's going to be elemental.